You know what all the cool kids are doing. They are subscribing to Stamp Show here today. This week only, listen to two podcasts and get a third podcast absolutely free. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition, liftoff. Look at them, madame. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Live from the horoscope section of the Nevada Times, my horoscope said that I'll be doing a podcast today. This is the award-winning Stamp Show Here Today, episode number 221. Brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center. This is Tom. This is Cash. This is Scott. No, and I'm your host. No, That's right, there's no Mark. Yeah, no Mark. He has a busted air conditioner well, in the doing, middle of Nevada. You were doing so well, and then Don, uh, Cash had to screw it up. I know. Are we going to move along or are we going to try that again? Move along. Nothing to see. Okay. These are not the droids okay. you're looking for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is not the script you were hoping for. Uh, we've already ended this thing with a fiery crash. Cash makes recommendations on what we talk about and writes the script. But there's a lot of stuff that is just piling up. So, Cash, tell us about the things we haven't talked about on the podcast. Tell us if the podcast should write up something for them. Uh, I'm going to read the titles. Uh, the people who are listening, why don't you uh, give us some input? These are things that have been either requested, an email was sent, uh, uh, somebody made a slight suggestion that maybe it would be a topic, etc. So uh, everybody, plus Tom and Scott and Don, if you uh, like what you hear, uh, tell me and I will uh, prepare a podcast for it. Is this going to be a podcast of shameless plugs? Uh, no, it is not. Uh, but f- uh, for example, the first one, and this was, I, and I'm going to apologize to everybody. I do not recall who submitted this stuff, but like the first one is, veteran pension mail from 1865 to 1900 I have no clue what that is does anybody here actually I think I might have an idea of what it is I would have no idea who may have suggested it well how about the next one the end of stamp collecting Uh, stamp collecting um, you know had some failed publications the demand dropping significantly I mean well you know the hobby's been dying ever since 1870 well yeah that's the thing and the talk eight, about a slow death the 1870 crash in the stamp market there's a good amount of stuff on it and it might be a, like a nice historical perspective so if that's of interest it may be of interest but it's not about stamps yeah I guess so How about sustainable stamp collecting? What, we don't recycle? No, nothing? No. I guess that one I can scratch off the list. Star Wars, but that was uh, for the hits. A lot of people hit or, you know, will listen to the podcast if we talk about Star Wars. And The Phantom Menace is 18 years old, so it can be charged for assault as an adult now. I didn't think it was that bad. Really? Yes. Oh, okay. How about the last one? 
they're not getting any better. <laughs> no, they're not. Well, actually, I really liked Solo, and I really liked Rogue One. Oh, I, I thought those were very good stories. Yeah, but the uh, the last one was just, I couldn't get into it. You have to suspend belief, and I just was not able to do it. What, the last Star Wars movie? Yeah. So after three, six, seven, eight Star Wars movies is the first time anyone's run out of gas. No, but they... Yes. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah. Okay, then there's... Uh, I have down here actual horoscopes on stamps because uh, most people who think they're one his, uh, horoscope sign uh, are actually not that sign because over the past 4,000 years, the signs have all moved. So the horoscopes are actually like 20 days off. And what this brought up was uh, incorrect information on stamps. Like the brontosaurus, you know, there's a bunch of brontosaurus stamps and the brontosaurus was proved not to exist. It was an amalgamation of different bones from different animals. Actually, the brontosaurus does exist. He lives in bedrock. Oh, okay. His name is Dino. Uh, no, Dino wasn't a brontosaurus. Brontosaurus was the one that uh, Fred Flintstone used in the quarry. Dino was like a little... A baby. A uh, yeah, little. It was a baby one. A baby one? Oh, yes, okay. it was a baby one. Are you sure? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Hold on, Tom is typing in. Let's see if he can find if Dino is actually fully grown or not. <laughs> the depressing issues of Stamp Show here today. <laughs> well, while he's uh, pulling that up, archival paper. Um, I that to me is like a two-minute thing, but we got asked about it. Well, we can cover that now if you want. Sure. Give it a quickie. What do you want me to say about archival paper? <laughs> what I is mean, it's a, it's just paper that has been tested for and engineered to have a neutral pH. Right. The acid was removed usually right. with chalk. Uh, but it's done in the paper making process now instead of after the fact. Okay. So we'll scratch that one off the list. How about it? I thought this one was cool. Actual Nigerian businesses and stamp collecting. I mean, how hard is it if you live in Nigeria to do any business whatsoever on the internet? Probably easier than if you were doing it by snail mail. Because <laughs> they, they would keep shooting your mailman. Uh, yeah. Here's one. Seaman on stamps. Seaman was uh, Lewis and Clark's dog. And... He was one of the most famous dogs in history, and he doesn't uh, appear on any Lewis and Clark stamp. There's a lot of Newfoundland dog stamps, but he has never got his own stamp. So we could do like a hashtag semen on stamps. No. Okay. Uh, games with stamps. And I just had this... Uh, isn't it ironic that only one company can make a game called Monopoly? No? I'm getting crickets. <laughs> yes, you are. How about going through the famous Americans? That was well, one that about, was suggested. What about Mao's Fred book on Chinese stamps? I've seen those. Those are cool. That's a good one. Yeah, we we can do a lot of background because everybody sees the red books, but unless you're in China, you kind of don't know what's in it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen those stamps at Marcel's table. Shout out to my buddy Marcel. Yeah. And then one that we have never done, and being at PSE, it's kind of a tough one. Um, we've never had a podcast on numerical grading. Yes, we have. No, n- not the nuts and bolts of it. Well, you know, it's kind of difficult to present numerical grading in a voice-only format. You really, it's, it's really a visual type of topic. Should we give it a shot? If we did that, we should have a lot of pictures to put up on the website. With yes. It. Yes, we need a lot of pictures to go on the website. So if people want to hear about numerical grading. If you're, if you're listening now, yeah. see figure one Yeah, on the website. <laughs> no, seriously, that's what we'd have to do. By the way, the brontosaur has a, brontosaurus has officially been classed a dinosaur again. Oh, it has? Mm-hmm. What? Whoa. What's a brontosaurus now? A dinosaur. I mean, well, they must have like taken some other... A potosaurus or something and called it a brontosaurus or something. Despite the brontosaurus not being recognized within science, uh, is that the right part? No, nope, that's the wrong part. But now, but now new research has shown that the brontosaurus is in fact sufficiently different enough from the apatosaurus to be officially renamed as a brontosaurus, which has been celebrated by fans of the dinosaur across Twitter and has resurrected the debate over Pluto's declassification. Ah. <laughs> Take because, that, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah. Because apparently the Brontosaurus was declassified in 2006 around the same time as Pluto, but Pluto got all the attention. Ah, uh, well. Well, so, as Neil deGrasse Tyson told you in writing, Cash, yep. get over it. Yeah, that's it. And then uh, another person uh, suggested, and I don't know if we want to get into this because there's a lot of moving parts to it, but the Ifenza debacle, the supposed Ponzi scheme and some something like that, uh, the well, Spanish stamp business. I, I, can, I can say a couple things in general about that. It was basically they were selling stamps as an investment. And they were jacking the prices 100 to 500 times what they were actually worth and then selling them and then guaranteeing returns on them. And they were basically paying dividends from... It was a pyramid scheme. They were paying dividends. Sounds, sounds from, more like a Ponzi scheme. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so there's been a few of those here in the States as well. But the offensive one was most notable for... Uh, buying all of the Europa issues. You, well, it was also famous because it was tied into the government and actually a government corruption st- scandal in Spain arose from it. Right. So um, my big recommendation is stay away from uh, stamp investments. Yeah. And well. uh, if you're going to buy stamps, do your homework and buy a catalog first. Well, my, my favorite uh, saying is that if something is purchased as a collectible, it's not a collectible. You And it's a, you have to watch out for investments in collectibles because people will, you know, get a Europa stamp and say, okay, this stamp is worth a quarter, but buy it now for a dollar and you'll be able to sell it for $5. And it's like, no, it's going to be a quarter forever. Yeah, that, that's something something that always seemed very strange to me. When I was over at Collector's Universe, they have 
they've taken baseball bats and cut them into little slices. And then they certify and sell the slices as coming from this bat or that bat that was used by this player or that player. And they have some pretty famous, you know, Mickey Mantle bats and Babe Ruth bats and things like that. And I don't, why would I want to collect a round slice from a baseball bat? It just doesn't seem... Because you can't afford the whole bat. Well, obviously only one person could own the whole bat, too. Well, they but, sell uh, like pieces of the uh, Graf Zeppelin. You can buy little bits of the Graf Zeppelin. You buy bits of the Hollywood sign. Yeah, but the bits of the Graf Zeppelin aren't cut up bits. They're actual bits from the explosion and fire. No, no, no. Right. They got the exterior like uh, canvas around the outside, and they cut it into like little one inch by one inch things. And uh, yeah, see, to me, that's not that's not what I want to collect. I want to collect. Uh, a piece of canvas that's burned on all sides, not yeah. <laughs> not uh, a little one-inch square of canvas. Oh, are we talking about the? You said Graf Zeppelin. Are we talking about that or Hindenburg? I'm sorry, Hindenburg. You're yeah. right. Yeah, the Hindenburg. Yeah. Hindenburg. I was going to say because it'd be really hard to buy the whole Graf Zeppelin and fit it in a display case in your house. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what are they, Ferengi? <laughs> but who would want to have a you know a piece of history that's been basically mutilated? Exactly. That's that's my point. Yeah, it's like buying well, a U.S. number one and uh, cutting it into slices so that everybody can have one. And, you know, you get one twentieth of a U.S. number one, the first stamp of the United States. Buying, well, on, they, buying Michael's Michael Jordan's jer- uh, uh, one-inch square of Michael Jordan's jersey. Yeah. If right. you have the unfortunate bad luck of getting the armpit. Oh. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I mean <laughs> oh, Michael Jordan, everybody says, you know, he is the uh, highest paid athlete of all time. But they're wrong because Forbes just came out with it. Do you know who the highest paid athlete of all time is? It was, uh, and I'm going to uh, do a correction here. I believe his name was uh, Daughter X. And he was, it's a long name. And he was a Roman charioteer. And they modified for inflation he made about 15 billion dollars whereas michael jordan only made three billion dollars so uh roman charioteer and i need to that's one that we should well it's that, that that's for your podcast stamp related yeah that's, <laughs> that's yeah. for your podcast not ours. Yeah, finding a roman charioteer uh stamps is going to be tough but i'm i'm good with useless trivia you can find a way to tie it into Roman state stamps or something. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> well, you know, you can go over to the Luxor Hotel down here, and they have the uh, Titanic Museum mm-hmm. exhibit. And if you go in the gift store, you can actually, the only, quote, pieces of the Titanic that you can buy, there's actually pieces of coal in a little acrylic box from ah. the boiler room. Ah. So you can buy a piece of coal from the Titanic. I'm like... Could have got that from anywhere. Yeah. How can I be sure it came well, from the Titanic? You have to. There's a certain amount of trust. But one thing that uh, I remember when they first discovered the Titanic, they rest- the first order of business was to dredge up some coal so they could sell it. <laughs> no, they they brought up like plates and dishes and stuff like that, and they brought up several thousand you know plates and cups and saucers and stuff, and they were auctioning them off. And they were going for crazy prices like a plate and a cup and a saucer 
were like $10,000. And it was just incredible. But, you know. If I had the money, I would have bought it. <laughs> and seriously. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I'm fascinated by that disaster, but I am. Yeah. Yeah. And I still ha- and are. I still haven't been to the freaking museum over here because it's really expensive. Yeah, that's one uh, thing we should do. We should do stamp it disasters. There's quite a few stamp disasters. Well, we can talk about crash mail yeah. at some point. Crash mail, uh, um, rescued stuff from the Andrea Doria that um, uh, our friend. Uh, um, God, uh, I'm our friend who bl- has no blow- name. Blowing my, uh, I've got an Alzheimer's moment. Uh, um, Mike? No, in uh, Westlake. Oh, Larry. Larry, yes, Larry. God, how how can I forget Larry? Anyway, he has some stuff from uh, the Andrea Doria. And, yeah, just train crashes. There's a lot of train ca- crash mail. But, yeah, well, that's one way you can do. How about the history of postcards? Do we want to get off stamps and get into postcards? Well, we can mention it, but we don't. I don't think we need to <clears throat> devote an entire podcast to it. Oh, okay. <clears throat> I mean, there's a lot of stuff there because you have government postcards, you have private postcards, you have private mailing cards, you have the. Yeah. I mean, well, if you want to hear it, email us. And then the last one is how does mail get lost? It crashes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Among other things. I mean, I don't know how we would, you know, do the research on it, but, you know, how does mail get lost? So anyway, send us in your topics. I, uh, have, a, I have a suggestion. Where does it go when they can't deliver it? I have a funny feeling that I think a that lot would, of it I think is that it. would be a post a good topic. Yeah. Dead letter office and stuff like that. I thought it all went to the North Pole. No, it all goes to uh, New York 43rd Street or whatever that is. Miracle on 43rd Street. No, it goes to a... A cave in Utah. So 34th Street. 34th? 43rd? I'm only... <laughs> I'm up by a couple of streets. <laughs> so if you have any topics or you want to hear any of these, uh, give us an email at uh, Stamp Show Here Today. What's our email address? Stamp Show Here Today at gmail.com. So we actually do have a question today. Other than what do you want us to talk about? Oh, I am getting a lot of mail, though. That happens when the mailman puts it in your post office no, no, uh, mailbox. For, it's very humorous. Um, there are a couple of people in prison who are stamp collectors, and they send stuff to us <laughs> for... Please hold while Scott is trying to die. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it. And, and they uh, send us stamps to look at and stuff like that. And they're learning about grading and expertizing and stuff like that. Very interesting. So uh, I, have a whole, I have a little bevy of... Uh... I was going to say wait till he recovers. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, now I'm better. <laughs> oh, it sounds like it. His voice is cracking. He's becoming a man. So uh, I have a couple of uh, people who are in prison who write me. And it's... Nice because they actually are they, are write. They write. Are they writing PSE or are they writing PSE, Stamp Show Here Today? PSE and Stamp Show Here Today. One of them writes PSE, the other one writes Stamp Show Here Today. Cool. So uh, we, ha- we have a presence in the convict community. Shout out to you. Don't do bad stuff. 
We have an email from Bob. He writes, the Scots catalog generally indicate that for most countries starting after World War II, the list values are for mint never hinge stamps. However, the stamp collecting public didn't all decide at once to give up hinging them. The many stamps I find at shows are online from the 1940s or early 1950s are hinged. But most dealers still quote the never hinge Scott value. What percentage of Scott value would you offer for a hinge stamp from the 40s that's supposed to be never hinged? Okay, now this is a two-parter. Now this is part two. For that matter, what percentage of Scott value do you generally try to acquire stamps at if they are never hinged or hinged pre-World War II? I know it can vary a lot with British colonies often selling at 50% or more online. Whereas some less popular places like Silesia can go for 20%, perhaps. But what do you think is a reasonable goal? Thanks, from Bob. Well, in my opinion, stamps from the 1940s and 1950s that are hinged are postage. Well, what if they're not from your country and you can't use them as postage? Um, Well, they're still postage. They're just postage for another person. Um, I have shipped a lot of postage. For some reason, I get a lot of Australian postage and I ship it off to Australia if it's hinged and even really if it's never hinged. Um, but in my opinion, if it's from the 1940s or 1950s and it's hinged, you're a collector. So you want to buy the stamp. Um, you know, so face value, maybe double face. But, you know, double face is going to be a dime, well, you know, 10 cents. I have a question then. What if it's a more, un- let's assume that it's a less common item and it carries a, a, a face value of the equivalent of 50 cents, but the catalog value is $30 for mint never hinged. Now what do you charge? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, because there are items like that out there. Yeah. Like if you had a $5 Hamilton, and it catalogs like 45 bucks, I think it is, but it's hinged. How much would it sell for? And I think that I would charge 10 to $15 for a $5 Hamilton. Well, no, I charge less than that. I'd, I'd try to get like 10 bucks for it, because out of a $45 stamp, I'm probably going to be at half catalog anyway. Well, that's if you're selling at retail. Well, I've, I'm sell, I sell on eBay, so, you know, eBay... That's not to, retail. Yeah, exactly. So I would probably sell normal stuff at half Scott Catalog value, and if it's hinged, it would go down to a quarter or less. I I think for, for better areas like the British Commonwealth, not Britain itself, but the Commonwealth countries, I would think um, maybe as much as 70% on the hinge stuff, and then once you get into the 60s and 70s, then I would drop it to half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're talking about a full... Yeah. I mean, once you move into the <clears throat> Queen Elizabeth era... Because it's harder to get those stamps. Like, if you're looking right. at, let's say, Pitcairn Island. Right, but also, uh, early Queen Elizabeth, a lot there were a lot of engraved issues. The You know, the multicolor, the bicolors, and the tricolor engraved issues. And those are much more desirable than once once you move into the late 60s and 70s and uh, thing they move into other types of printing. 
they're less attractive in many collectors' opinions. And so I think that... Um, well, I don't think it's uh, their opinion. I think it's a question of demand. Well, if, yeah. If and you have, you know, if there's 25 of them out there, why would you buy the one that's hinged? Right. And that's the funny thing, too, is when you get right to the cusp, uh, like most countries, it's in the nineteen early 1930s. And you'll have, I, I saw this on like a 703, a U.S. 703, the Yorktown stamp. Is that 703 or 702? One or the other. Anyway, the Yorktown stamp, it was, um, they had the hinge price was like 55 cents and the never hinge price was like 75 cents. And in my opinion, that differential is just ridiculous. Uh, a never hinge might be 75 cents. But the hinged is way less than that. They well, my opinion on something like that, where where the stamp is fairly common, I would think that the the hinged and never hinged price, I would just mark it the same because realistically, I'm not going to be selling singles of that stamp because it's such a low value, and uh, the basically the the cost to me is in my labor. And it's the same whether it's hinged or never hinged. So, so, so at that point, you're not paying for the stamp; you're paying for my work to yeah, to get the stamp to get to the you. stamp to you. Yeah, um, and that's pretty that's much a good point. That's that's one of the reasons why the Scott catalog has a minimum value of twenty five cents. But uh, in in many cases, you know that it's an artificial value. You know, if they took that away, what's the actual value of the stamp? It may be one or two cents. Yeah, or, but you can never find it for one or two cents. You right. you would have to right because somebody they throw has a box to, in front of you because somebody has to do the work. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I mean, at that point, you're you're looking at the cost of labor for the dealer uh, or the seller if you're online uh, to provide that stamp to you. So realistically, then stamps from the '40s and the '50s. Hinge versus never hinged. If you're buying them out of a stock book, if if they're they inexpensive, be, they may be exactly the same. They may be exactly the same price. Yeah. If they're extremely low value, what? <clears throat> and I think the the meat of the question here is: Well, what if they're not just the minimum value type stamps, but they are the little, you know, they have a little bit of value to them, and so then there would might be some differentiation. Yeah. I mean, when when you when you, I, my opinion is when when you start to get to you know three four five dollars in value, then you're going to start to see a bit of a difference between hinged and never hinged, because yeah. the never hinged is going to have more value than the the hinged. But any anything less than a buck or two, uh, really, the most of the lab, most of the cost is in labor. That's a, that's a, yeah, you changed my opinion there. I agree. Yeah. I mean, it's still postage in my opinion. Well, but if you're buying, it depends it, on how you're buying getting it. it is the difficult part. Yeah. I right. mean, I have a stock book of U.S. mint stamps and they're all never hinged. And if they're hinged, I literally throw them inside of another glassine and dump it someplace because yeah. I don't even want hinge stuff in my inventory. No, and, and I, I do the same thing with the U.S. material, which 
uh, we can just use his postage. Yeah. And I put it in, I sort it by denomination. I mark it for sale as as lots of postage. Yeah, have you noticed that uh, the value of postage has declined quite a bit over the last about year and a half? Denominated postage yeah. has seriously declined. The forever stamps, on the other hand, yeah. are really holding their own. But it's amazing to me that, like, Stamps ten cents and less. Let's say four cent to ten cent. You used to be sixty seventy percent of cat or of face. Uh, seventy would be high. You know, fifty you'd be where it is. Now it's like a third or less, yeah. and that's rather interesting because it's you know hard to use, but that's very interesting. Ten ten well, to thirty percent for that sort of material i mean i can see especially as expensive as mailing a letter is getting i mean you buy a lot of one cent postage i mean you're not you're not going to have anywhere to put the address you're going to have to write the address on the stamps yeah you five cent stamps you know you have to put 11 of them on an envelope yeah but you're you said like we're talking like one to four cent yeah yeah so you gotta put what 55 one cent stamps i mean (laughs) I mean, uh, That's like the old the uh, old uh, adage of you know paying your debt in pennies. Yeah, just to drive the post office nuts, just paste the entire pack in <laughs> one cent stamps. Well, we we get uh, express mail where they're the the priority or excuse me not express mail priority mail where the entire box is just wallpapered with stamps. We also get the flats where the entire back is wallpapered with stamps, and then the front. Is, you know, it has about 70% covered with stamps as well. Yep. And then there's a meter strip making up the difference. <laughs> yeah, there isn't even enough room to put all the stamps on to get to like $4.95 or whatever it is. <laughs> so anything else? You want to do the new issue thing? I think we should. Oh, good. Uh, okay. I will do the new issues then. Yay. <laughs> So we are going to talk about a new issue that apparently came out a little bit early. The Wild and Scenic River postage stamp set from the U.S. Postal Service is now available. And to celebrate, the Ottawa National Forest will host a hiking event to Kakabika Falls along the Ontonagon River. That's pretty tough. I don't speak that very well. Yeah, I, I'm going oh. to get bet that you didn't pronounce those Gro- correctly. Growing in, uh, uh, growing up in upstate New York, I can tell you that you did my Indian. My, 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 Indi- my Indian is okay. <laughs> you did outstanding in that pronunciation. My American Indian wins today. Uh, that particular location is depicted in one of the featured stamps. A lot of people are buying the stamps, said Pam Franti, the postmaster of Ontonagon, Michigan. Also one of the co-inventors of the tube sock, remarkably. Amazing, that. The post office announced the series in November of 2018, and the stamps were expected to come in in the fall of 2019, Franti said. The stamps were suddenly available on May 21st, and so there wasn't really enough time for the local post office to plan an event, she said. But there is a hike. The Ottawa National Forest is hosting the Kakabika and Yondota Falls hike on June 15th, she said. The public event visits two lesser-known but accessible waterfalls in Gojabik County. 
including Kakabika Falls on the Cisco branch of the Ontonagon River. You're just making these words up, aren't you? <laughs> no, I'm pronouncing them correctly. Hopefully. That is the scene depicted on the featured stamp, she said. The hike starts at 10 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time or 9 a.m. Central Daylight Time from the Kakabika Falls Trailhead, which is 12.4 miles east of Maranisco and 15 miles west of Watersmeet on County Road 527, also known as Thayer Road, which is about one half mile north of U.S. Highway 2, which is just down from the second stump on the left, look for the large... <laughs> Chevy billboard. <laughs> Sorry, that part I made up. <laughs> Kakabika Falls is just 0.1 mile from the trailhead. Well, that's pretty close. Let's talk. That's a short hike. That's a really short hike. The hike follows with a 16-mile drive west to Yondota Falls, north of Marinisco, on the Presque, River, Presque Isle River. The hike to Yondota Falls is just 0.3 miles. Why don't they hike the 16 miles? I don't know. I'm just looking at you got point, point 0.1 and point 0.3, but you're going to drive 16. I'm looking at you like a pig stares at a wristwatch. I'm just lost here. You're the one who wrote it. <laughs> I, <laughs> or I copied did, it, I should I say. I copied and pasted this sucker. Participants should bring boots, water, camera, and a walking stick. That's to beat the snakes. <laughs> That's to beat the person who organized this stupid thing. <laughs> that doesn't sound stupid. This no. sounds cool. I would actually, do it. It's, actually, it sounds cool. I would do it. Other would, than the driving except part. Except for the fact that I don't live in Missouri. Bring a picnic lunch to eat on the rocks by Yondota Falls. For information on the hike, call Ian Shackelford of the Forest Service at 906-285-6911. Or email ian.shackleford at usda.gov. The U.S. Postal Service created the Wild and Scenic Rivers stamp set to recognize 12 of the more than 200 river segments totaling 13,000 miles that are protected by the National Wild and Scenic Rivers system. The rivers are part of the 3 million river miles across 41 states and Puerto Rico. That's a lot. I didn't realize it. That's, you don't think about that, but that seems like that's three million miles. That is a lot of river. Well, not only that, but the rivers go all the way to Puerto Rico, yeah. which is impressive. Yeah. The, the other thing is there are nine states that do not have any protected rivers. Yeah, that is a good point. Forty-one states have protected rivers. Nine do not. The river sections are protected for fish and wildlife, geology, recreation, and cultural or historical significance. The stamps have been selling, said Beth Shepard, a postal clerk at the Ironwood Post Office. And also a co-inventor of the tube sock. A lot of people involved in tube socks on this issue. Well, you know, it does get cold. They need a lot of them. The stamps are forever stamps, which means that they can be used to send a standard one-ounce first-class letter even after the postage rates increase in the future, which will probably be um, next week <laughs> at the rate they've been going. They've been going up faster than Disney tickets. How much is Disneyland now? Peak or non-peak? They have actually have two different prices for Disneyland. Yeah, no, I always used to go the non-peak because 
I well, never they, want to go there during a peak period. Well, they used to not have peak versus non-peak. It was one price, no matter well, what day you went. you'd have blackout days. You'd have blackout days. Well, if, if you had an annual pass. Yeah. But you're talking just a ticket for the day. Oh, okay. A, a ticket for the day now, they have peak and non-peak. Oh, and I think the that's I think the non-peak are like a hundred and nine, and the peak are like over a hundred and twenty for one ticket for one person for one park for one day. That's what I used to pay for the annual passes, like about a hundred and ten, and I think that included the parking pass. It's nuts. Yep. So you have your choice: you can go to uh, Onanaga Falls or Disneyland. I'm going to the falls. Even though it is a much further drive from here. Yeah. <laughs> I said Missouri earlier. Is that correct? Oh, Michigan. Sorry. Well, actually, I found out. And this is something. Tom correction. This is something stupid that I, only I. Um, only matters to me. But the Springs. So let's tell everybody. The, <laughs> That's right. We went to the Springs Preserve for the Duck Stamp event uh, back last year, one year ago. Yes. Yeah, we did. I never realized that it's called Springs Preserve because that mountain range over there is the Springs Mountain Range that has uh, Mount Charleston in it and stuff. That's the Springs Mountains. Well, and they also used to have natural springs in Nevada before they all dried up. Oh, I'm sure there's still some somewhere. Well, not in the Las Vegas Valley. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Although there was, uh, I saw in Green Valley, there was uh, water in the Green Valley River. Woohoo. Somebody leave their sprinkler on. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else? Not for me. That's it for our new issues today. How about you, Don? I think I'm good. Gonna plug Omaha again? Sure. Come I, see us I, in Omaha. Yes, we can plug Omaha. Yes. We Aug are gonna be in Omaha. August first to fourth. At the convention center in Omaha. You'll see me in my red tailcoats. Not in Michigan. That'd be in Nebraska, right? That would be in Nebraska. Oh, not Omaha, Michigan. No. So you can't <laughs> take you can't take the hike. And not Omaha Beach in Normandy. Oh yeah. Oh wait, are we yeah. reporting? Oh, you know, we did this whole thing, and I just realized, Cash, the hike was on June fifteenth. Yeah, I know. I was, was looking like, at that. It was like last weekend. Yeah. I guess you can cut that part out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it just means. Call the people, send an email, and build a time machine. Again? Better late than never. <laughs> <laughs> it was breaking news six days ago. Sounds like it broke. <laughs> uh, Don, why don't you get us out of here? Uh -huh. Shecky, get the jet. You have been listening to the award-winning Stamp Show here today. This was Tom. This was Cash. <laughs> this is Scott. <laughs> and this was Don. <laughs> One new voice message and one saved message. New message. You have been listening to the award-winning Stamp Show here today, brought to you by the Nevada Philatelic Research Library. Produced and edited by Cash Breakfast, with engineering and recording by Tom Schilling, researched by Scott Murphy and Mark Leon, and I am your host, Don Doss. Please subscribe to us on iTunes or Podbean, and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Visit us at stampshowheretoday.com and thank you for listening. To replay this message, press 1. To delete, press 7. To save, press 9. Message saved. There are no more messages. Main menu. Stamp show here today. Stamp show here today.
can happen when we dream together.